This episode of The Tim Fowler Show is brought to you by Canvas. How long does it take you to measure and model an as-built? Probably more time than you'd like. Canvas replaces hours of manual measuring with a few minutes of scanning with your iPhone or iPad. And Canvas eliminates the hours, if not days, of taking your measurements and turning them into a 3D as-built or 2D floor plan, all for pennies per square foot. Try Canvas for free. Download it at www.canvas.io and use promo code RA22. Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of The Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about culture with the help of special guest Mitch Gray of Mitch Gray Media in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is The Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone, Tim Fowler here and welcome to what I think is going to be a great episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Send your ideas in, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, please let me know if you're listening, Tim at RemodelersAdvantage.com. All right. So in a previous podcast, our guest for today started talking about company culture. We were talking about hiring and retaining good employees and the term company culture just came up in the context. And I think even in the podcast, I said, oh, we got to talk about that. And so here we are right? We're talking about company culture. And for a hammer and nail guy like me, culture has a lot of meanings. And or maybe it's even better to say, I don't even know if it has a meaning in reality. You know, it's like it it's not the kind of thing that you can just, pardon the pun, nail down. So in other words, it feels a little bit like whatever you think it is, That's what it is. And so a business owner, and I've had this happen to me a number of times visiting with businesses, the owner can claim they have great culture because they pay really well for the area. And maybe the staff uh, goes, no, not really great culture. Or maybe the staff is even thinking like, hey, we got a great thing going here. And then the owner's going like, man, things aren't working. And so it doesn't seem like there's a real definition and sometimes low morale, poor culture, that kind of thing. So the other thing that I'm not sure about is how do you test this thing? I mean, I like to be able to plug something in and see if the light bulb works, or I like to be able to do the math and see if it works. And and I'm wondering like, how do you test culture. So the reason this comes up in my world quite a bit is in the production manager roundtables, quite often people are talking about the poor morale that's in their staff and and they're making a commitment to improve morale. And we use the SMART goal setup. And so obviously the M in the SMART means measurable. And so my first question is like, how are you going to measure that, dude? or do that. We have quite a few women in our group. So how are you going to measure that? And they go like, I don't know. We're just going to make it better. 
And so we keep pushing and it's, it's so hard because there's no baseline. There's no, nothing solid. It just feels like something from even the fact that you don't have good morale or poor culture sometimes is just a feeling. So I'm going to warn my guests right now. I'm looking for hard data. I hope you can give it to me. And uh, Steve, let's get into this conversation. All right. Well, I'm excited to welcome back Mitch Gray. He's the president of Mitch Gray Media, located in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mitch Gray Media was created in 2015. And over the past 20 years, Mitch has coached and worked with over 10,000 leaders and clients across the world. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Hey, Steve. Hey, Tim. Great to see you again. And I'm as excited as you are, Tim, to jump <laughs> into this. Um, so let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So give us just a little bit more, Mitch, on your, I mean, in other words, why should we listen to you about culture? What is it about your work that brings you into this realm of knowing something about company culture? So I'm going to give you the most credible thing I think someone can give. And that is, I ask myself that all the time as well. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny. You hear experts talk and they really try and position themselves. And the question I always ask, because I tend to be a little bit rebellious in nature, is what makes this person an expert? And all joking aside, I, I do think what makes all of us experts is we're all living and breathing and trying and we're showing up. And, you know, you can take all the education in the world, but if a doctor never, a medical doctor never performs surgery, then what kind of surgeon are they? Right. Um, If a scientist never explores the universe, what kind of scientists are they truly? And so for me, you know, the idea, I I joke uh, in in all seriousness, I know that's a little bit of a conundrum (laughs) there in sentences, but, but joking in all seriousness on the last episode Um, I told you since I was a kid, I kind of knew within my DNA, my heart. And and I've had people ask me, Mitch, how did you know that? And the honest answer sometimes is I don't know. Um, I just know what I knew. And culture to me has always been something within me that has said, I want to provide a sense of belonging. Okay. I want to be someone who hopefully inspires people to their own greatness. And I wasn't able to use the word culture to identify that. But what I learned over the years is really when it boils down to it, that's exactly some of the fundamentals of creating a culture of empowerment and to where people can achieve their own greatness. And really where I kind of stumbled onto that in a way, when I was a teenager, we moved from... Southwest Oklahoma. I grew up on the farm to Gallup, New Mexico, which if any listeners don't know about Gallup, New Mexico, it sits in between uh, the Navajo and the Zuni Indian reservations. It is kind of the hub of the, you know, it's a town of 20,000 people that serves 120, literally. And I had the honor um, in high school, I actually dated uh, a, a Navajo girl, and she took me to meet her family. We went onto the reservation quite a bit. And as a white guy from the South, <laughs> I had the honor of seeing some culture that I not very many people get to experience. Right, right. Why do I tell that story? Because I was able to tangibly experience what someone's culture felt like. And I think we discount the power of feeling. 
Uh, you alluded to in our last conversation about how oftentimes you'll talk to employees of other businesses and they may not verbalize things as culture or as frustration or as happiness, but it's in the story. And so when you ask me, why can I talk about culture? I believe it's because I understand the power of story. And I want to make a statement here. And not only that, I've helped quite a few people develop great culture, but I want to make a statement here. And that is everyone is always telling you a story. And within that story is a truth. And as a leader leading a community, our role is to find and listen and unearth those truths. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is we often fear what we don't understand. Right. And so many leaders find themselves in a position dealing with issues they flat out don't understand. And I'm going to use the word ignorant, not in a negative light, but when we don't know something, we are ignorant of that something. And right. so many times leaders are functioning from a place of ignorance and that scares them. And so they kind of go, oh, my gosh, it's that culture word again. I'm not sure what to do with that. And so what I want to encourage people with is that fear that you're feeling is simply coming from a place of ignorance. The great thing about ignorance is you are the master of your own knowledge. Right. And right. so you can move past that pretty quickly. And so um, I love helping people with culture because people usually don't understand how to verbalize it. They usually don't understand how to connect with it. And they usually just flat out don't comprehend it. So this takes us back to another podcast that we just did. Uh, just a few weeks ago with Christine Miles, who has written a book on listening. And one of her major points is every time someone is talking, they're telling a story, exactly what yes. you were saying. And that if you don't investigate that story with them and help them verbalize that story, you never really hear what they're saying. And, and even if you did, you know, look them in the eye and take notes and all that stuff. If you didn't really listen to their story, then you're not getting them. And I think that's just exactly for the listeners. If you didn't listen to that podcast, go back and listen to it because it mirrors a great deal of what Mitch is saying here with a little more, you know, uh, depth to it. But the same basic ideas that we're uh, telling a story. Canvas's new measurement report gives you everything you need to estimate and quote a remodel, all with a few minutes of scanning a home. You'll get a detailed floor plan, along with information like floor and wall area, and the number and sizes of windows and doors, with none of the tedious measuring. Try Canvas for free. Download it at www.canvas.io and use promo code RA22. So how do you define good culture? You might have started into it with the idea of belonging and inspiring someone to greatness, but give us a little bit more. And then obviously we're going to go like, all right, what's bad culture? But let, let's start with yeah. the positive. So I love definitions that are neutral, because if we don't deal with neutral definitions, then we do begin viewing things as good and bad. Okay. And not that there are things, that, but that kind of messes with our perception. Okay. So I want to pull everything back and just go, let's go neutral. My definition of culture is very simple. It's how we live, move, and exist. It's simply how we show up every day. 
And we can relate that to family culture. Let's say your family has a culture of every Sunday night, we meet at grandma and grandpa's and we cook a homemade meal and there's laughter and there's joy and there's connection. I grew up in a family back in the day, we were a singing family. And so we were very, I alluded like, you know, we kind of grew up in church. And so for us, that culture meant you, you pulled out songs and someone pulled out a guitar. You know, it's kind of like sitting around the campfire that those are elements of culture. And we underestimate that. And there's all these jokes at the workplace about people hanging around the water cooler. Guess what they're looking for? Connection. And so the water cooler doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could actually become an anchor to your culture. And so it's how we live, move and exist. I'm going to pull it back even more because I really want to give people some super tangible stuff in the next 15, 20 minutes. You can begin asking yourself four questions to really start measuring your definition of culture. Okay. Number one, how do you treat others? How do you treat others? Number two, how do you speak to other people and to yourself? What's the language you're using? Number three, how do you engage with people? And number four, how do you lead, first of all, yourself? Secondly, others. So it's about treating others. It's about speaking to others. It's about engaging with others. It's about leading others. And we're looking again at those from a neutral standpoint. Why are those questions important? Because if you don't know how to respond to those questions, you're going to have a really difficult time clarifying something that's kind of pie in the sky, a.k.a. culture. So we're trying to shrink this back as small as we can, as tangible as we can. So when we ask those four questions, first of ourselves, and then we bring our team in and we say, we're going to ask these questions of our team. Then we can begin shaping out how people would like to be treated, how we want to know, be known for treating people, how we're engaging, how we're speaking and communicating, and how we're leading. And when we can really respond to those questions, it's going to lead us to knowing ourselves well, to knowing the people around us well, and that will become a massively strong foundation for putting some what I call skin on this idea of culture. But a lot of the problem is... I can't tell you, Tim, how many, how many leaders I've met who have never asked themselves those questions. And so they have no self-awareness. And if you have no self-awareness, there is zero possibility for you to create culture. The problem with culture is it exists, whether you <laughs> right. intentionally created it or not, it exists. And so I don't know in a little bit, we're going to get into some measurables, but those are your first four questions to really begin that exploration. So let me let me rephrase a little bit here just to make sure I'm understanding because you're you're focusing on the leader asking themselves these questions. What I keyed in on was the leader asking other people how they perceive those questions. And I'm going to assume here and tell me if I got it wrong, but because then if the leader is self-aware, then they can actually adapt to learn that, hey, when I speak, I think I'm doing a great job, but these people are telling me that I need to do it differently. Is that what 100%. You're That's why you begin with self, because that self-work will allow you to raise your awareness and your courage. It's not easy to ask someone, hey, am I really a good guest on your show or do I suck? <laughs> like, you know, I think I know what I am, but am I really Am I really a good leader? Am I really communicating these tasks properly? But you have to have the courage to allow the feedback some space and you have to have garnered trust 
The only way to garner trust is to actually earn the trust. The quickest path to earning trust is to do the self-work. When they see you as a leader doing the work, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, you're going you're gonna to earn their trust. You know, last, last episode, we talked about working alongside people physically, mm-hmm. getting out yeah. of the office, taking your suit and tie off. Well, the same is true emotionally and spiritually and mentally. When they see you reading the books, when they walk into your office and on your whiteboard, you have these four questions, they're going to go, oh, my gosh, there's something here. And you want to talk about instigating great culture. That is the first step to instigating great culture. So so I'm I'm sitting here thinking and again, I, I joke a little bit about like I hear my I hear my listeners asking me questions while I'm on this uh, podcast. But I'm sitting here thinking about a business owner that has what we would typically call a production meeting and everybody comes in to the office and I'm just, and I'm, I'm hearing them go like, okay, this is my opportunity to ask these questions. And so he's got 15 production people sitting in the office and he says, I got a question to ask you. How do you want to be treated? Is that the right forum for this? Or is there a better forum for starting this dialogue? It depends on your team and it depends on your current status. If this is something you've been working on and your team is cognizant of that, then you can jump in feet first. If this is new to your team, if it's new to you as a leader, small steps, please. (laughs) And oftentimes the best way to take those small steps is to maybe have those one-on-one coffee meetings. Maybe you start with your best performers first and garner their trust first. Hey, how do you think I'm really, what can we change here? How are you feeling about the processes we're using? How are you feeling about how we deal with clients? Those are all elements of culture and really gain that. And so go one at a time, gain the trust, let them know you're a team, you're working together, and then you can kind of move slowly out and about to the rest of the people. Because by the way, it it doesn't stop with employees, Tim. You're going to take this to customers too, (laughs) by the way. Okay. So I'm just, all these things are just running around in my head, but this whole idea, like I, I made a note, here really quickly to ask like distance, because in our world, we're not all in the office at the same time. And some of our listeners I know have 40 people out on job sites and they're, and sometimes they're all on different job sites. I mean, they're not like 10 people working in one place on a big job. And so I'm sitting here thinking that if we can engage in these conversations, that this kind of thing transcends yes. Yes. the distance that our our type of work creates. And so it isn't a matter of having everybody in the same room all the time, but it's a matter of doing these things so that it it gets beyond this distance. Is that accurate? I mean, let me run a very quick experiment so we can prove to the listeners what we're talking about. My question for you and Steve will be, when you have a really good guest on the show via Zoom, can you feel the energy? Yeah, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, it's palpable, isn't it? So the same is true. When you propose this correctly and your presence is there, no matter where people are located, whether in uh, Australia or Minnesota, the energy is palpable. And so it is up to the leadership team to offer those opportunities for that energy to connect. And you, you've, you've kind of subliminally proven a point, and that is... When that energy and synergy is connected, people perform better, they want to show up, and they want to make sure they do a really good job. Because that energy 
holds people accountable subconsciously because as humans, we all want to do a good job and we all want to be told we did a good job. All of us. I don't care who you ask. At the end of the day, that's what we want. And so yeah, people I don't are know. Of- I know a few people who don't <laughs> seem like they want to do a good job. <laughs> yeah. But my response would be to probably misaligned then. I think when people are aligned in the proper place and time, yeah. they want to do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. So um, even at Remodelers Advantage, we've we've done like team things. We we try every quarter to get everybody together and they even fly me in if I don't have other things I have to do, which is, a, you know, an expense because usually I'm staying overnight, that kind of thing. And again, I'm thinking of these things like we went axe throwing one time. We went to Guinness Brewery another time and had a meal out on the patio and those people who enjoy a beer, you know, had several of those. And, uh, you know, is that building culture or is that just doing activity? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so again, it really depends on your team. And, and again, I want to remind people, you really have to approach culture from a neutrality. If you have done a great job at, at creating this place of community empowerment and opportunity, AKA a great culture, and people know that, then what those events become are affirmations of a great culture. Uh, Let me give you another example. Quite a few years ago, I was working with a client car dealership. They had incredibly terrible culture. It it was probably one of the worst I've ever experienced. Uh, But they always had a barbecue once a month. And to them, it was like, yeah, but we're feeding our team. Right. Who cares if they hate coming to work? And so my suggestion is if you're doing events and activities but you all of a sudden come to the realization our culture sucks Then put a pause button on the events and activities, because eventually you want those to be the language of affirmation, not in authenticity. And so that's, that becomes the question. All right, cool. Really, really good stuff. So um, I guess just looking at my, my questions here, what are some of the, can we use poor morale and, and, or morale and culture as the same are they the same? They're parallels for sure. I think morale is a result of culture. Okay. Yeah, but, but, but they're parallels. They're kindred spirits for sure. Okay, so we, we could use those interchangeably um, as we go through. Okay, so what are some culture killers? And please don't just say just the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, culture killers. Let's run, let's run past a few that are really, really tangible. A demanding leader. If a leader walks in and thinks the best form of communication is demanding people to work. Right. uh, I'm going to use a really strong word here, mostly for shock value. They're really creating a culture of slavery feeling. Okay. It's drudgery. They have this, uh, this idea that everyone sits lower than they do and they write the paycheck. So you have to come to work. No, they don't. There are a million jobs in the world. They don't have to work for you. So that to me is the number one culture killer. Uh, Number two is ignorant leadership. And so what that means is what we talked about earlier, and that is a leader just isn't quite aware enough and knowledgeable enough. So they're just kind of letting things happen. They're just kind of throwing ideas against the wall. They're just kind of hanging on by a thread. Well, we just got to get the job done. They're not necessarily bad to work for, but they're frustrating to work for because they just don't know. And by the way, employees can smell ignorant leadership a mile away and great employees will not have the patience for ignorant leadership. 
Another one that's really tangible that you see very common is gossip. Now you don't hear that word too often nowadays. Right. I grew up in a, I grew up in the kind of still old school where, but, but you hear gossip. Oh my gosh. Did you hear what Tammy did? Oh my gosh. Frank called in sick again. Oh my gosh. Here, here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We all know what gossip sounds like and gossip right. will kill your culture faster than almost anything. Gossip will kill your culture faster than failure. Because at least with failure, we can kind of recover and find power in the recovery. With right. gossip, it becomes this monster in and of itself. In a great culture, the gossip turns into, hey, Frank, I'm sorry to hear you're sick, man. I hope you get better soon, and we'll look, we'll look to see you when, you when you get back. Get back on your feet. Oh, and we send them a gift card, and we send them a – you know what I mean? We kind of take it a step further. And so to me, those three, uh, demanding leadership, ignorant leadership, and gossip kind of become the fathers of really, really poor culture. And we could go on and list more, but I think those three – if you can get rid of those three, you're going to be a long way ahead of the game. So, Mitch, now, demanding leadership, that seems to be a slippery slope there because – I think of on the tactical side, I mean, there's, well, there's the motivation of a team. There's the efficiency of a team. There's pushing people to be better. Demanding to me is that fine line of, you know, when does demanding become a bad thing? I understand how it can be, but also you want to motivate and inspire all those things that can be a, maybe a second cousin of demand. I don't know. So how do you, see the fine, you know, the difference there. There's a big difference in holding people accountable and only functioning from demands. Uh, Steve, get the job done. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you didn't do this right. Yeah. Steve, I already gave you the list. Why are you asking again? Yeah. Steve, you know what the blueprint says. How come you didn't follow it? Versus, hey, Steve, how's that list going? Is there anything I can do to help you? What can I do to be a better leader to help, you know, make sure you have all the equipment you need for this project? Do you guys have everything you need on your list or are you missing something? Now, all of a sudden, I'm building in care, compassion, and accountability because we may come back two weeks later and I may go, hey, Steve, remember that conversation we had? So what, what happened on the job, man? Like, I thought you had everything you needed. Did I do something? Did, you know, your other superior or, or did we just flat out miss that? Yeah. Now I'm garnering your trust. Demand says, get the job done. Don't ask a question and move on. And it's amazing how many leaders function from that, that viewpoint. And it just does not work. Yeah, I guess I was sitting there thinking about like, I don't know anybody. Well, there, I guess there's some that they walk around and go like, I'm a demanding boss. I'm a demanding yeah. boss. Almost nobody yeah. says that. Right. And, yet, <laughs> and so maybe this gets back to that idea of asking those questions. It's like so that people can tell us if we're that kind of person that they can convey to us that that information. And that's that's tough. That's a hard, hard thing to do. That takes two really strong character traits, self-awareness and emotional intelligence. And if you can just and it's an everyday practice, you know, because. The question then becomes, when can we switch from, maybe we have a moment of chaos. Maybe we're working on a project and shipments came in late and something's going on. And it's really kind of that moment where we've just got to get done. Right. And so you have to have garnered enough trust with your team that you can then in that moment go, hey, Steve, man, I, I know we've got to get this done. This right. is a deadline we'll meet. But if I've earned your trust, 
then you know that I'm kind of switching into playoff gear. Like this is yeah. Super Bowl Sunday and we've got to roll. That's a yeah. little bit different task, but I have to earn your trust. Where leaders miss it is they're demanding without earning trust. And I always tell leaders, one of the first best steps you can take is to earn trust. If you can earn trust and be consistent with that, then you've all of a sudden created the space and time to go, Tim, we've got to get this done. Cool. Let's go. Let's move forward. All right. So let's get right down to the measurement. How do you measure this kind of thing? I mean, if I'm going to, like I suggested, a lot of our production managers have seen some challenges, particularly over the last couple of years with all the work we're doing. It's been chaos in some of these places. And um, they're going like, man, our, our morale's slipping a little bit. We need to do something. Usually it's in terms of morale. And um, and how, how do you measure this stuff? How do you set a baseline, I guess, and see, are you improving? So the thing I didn't tell you about those first four questions is they, they become your baseline. Okay. They truly do. And so because you're exactly right, and you alluded to it in your opening, there has to be a baseline so that we can build a foundation. And so the reason those first four in questions, how you treat others, speak to others, engage with others, lead others, and then you're going to ask those of your team, you're really measuring that baseline. Okay, if I have a team of 20 people and 18 of them said, when I asked them the question, hey, you know, how would you like to be treated at work? And how do you feel like you want to treat others? And they all go, I, I don't know. I've never thought about that question. Then our baseline is ignorance. We just don't know. So we need to do some education. If uh, five of them say, oh, man, I love it when I work with Joe. Joe is so incredible. We've discovered another truth. And that is Joe might be a magnet and a centerpiece here for something moving forward. And so we're, we're gathering kind of emotional data. And I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit, especially in industries like what you all are in. Uh, emotions across the board get undervalued. They especially get undervalued in manual labor industries because we kind of tend to just want people to show up to AKA grab their hammer and get the job done. Right. The problem with that is humans can't check their emotions at the door. The other problem with that is if you don't deal with emotional intelligence and health, it will burn you in the end. Yeah. And so just deal with it. It's, it is what it is. It's humanity's behavior. So just learn to deal with it. So when we ask those four questions, we can then move on to other questions. Okay, Joe, so this is how you want to feel. This is how you want to treat others, how you want to be treated. How does that relate to your job? How do you feel on the job? How are you doing? Are you making sense of all this? I've noticed that maybe, maybe you're, uh, you know, you're usually a positive person and it's been a little down and out lately. Is everything okay? Are you okay as a person? I care about you as a human first. Hmm. And what I want leaders to understand is when you care at a human level first, you will produce and create great employees. When that disconnect exists, you will continually turn and burn people. And so now let's flip the switch a little bit quickly. Tangible measurements, job performance goes up or down. And you can tell really quickly when someone's having a hard time in life, job performance will go down quickly. When someone's doing really well in life, it'll go up. However, that job description is played out. Measure that closely. Uh, attitude and aptitude will fluctuate. So let's say you have a customer service person and you've noticed that on the phone the last couple of times, they've been really short with clients and customers. That is a tangible measurement that you need to track. Well, how do I track that, Mitch? I don't know. Keep a journal. 
It's really simple to just take notes. Be like, whoa, Sarah was off today. Something's going on with Sarah. Oh, wait, she's going through a divorce? Oh, my gosh. I need to be there for her. That's my role right now. And so these tangible cells, cells will fluctuate up or down depending on morale. The, the question isn't necessarily about measurements. It's about connecting the dots. The measurements are showing you a story. They're telling you a truth. So now just connect the dots. If your best foreman is just not performing at what they used to the last 10 years, do some inquisition. Hey, Tim, how you doing, buddy? You've been with us a long time. Let's go have a steak. Can I buy you lunch? And let's see where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I just sitting here thinking about I've shared this in a number of seminars with business owners that I, I clearly remember a lead carpenter that did a great job for us. And then all of a sudden his job performance was starting to decline and I didn't connect the dots and he just disappeared. I mean, gone one day, didn't even show up. We didn't know where he was, didn't find him for about three weeks. And he was going through a divorce and, you know, and, and, you know, I, I always felt like, Hey, I'm the kind of guy people could tell that too. You know, I'm apparently not in that situation. So there was some disconnect and I don't blame myself and, you know, it's not like sure. I'm putting everything on me there, but it's just the story about how I, I really see that kind of thing. Well, it becomes very unfair when we expect people to do a great job, but we don't care for them. It's an unfair scenario. And, you know, again, I hear leaders say it all the time, but I'm paying them to show up. But again, they don't have to show up. I mean, that story you just told is proof. And so there is this idea that I want to encourage people to sit with, and that is the idea of permission. If you can do one thing as a leader every day, I'm going to give you two. Affirm people and give them permission to perform well. I'm telling you, do this. There are, there are studies with plants. I read a study the other day with water where someone decades ago took five glasses of water and they, they recorded the molecule uh, makeup of the water and they labeled each glass of water. I hate you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I despise you. And every day they spoke that to that water. And guess what? They measured the molecule makeup of the water a month later and it had changed. <laughs> it had changed. And so the point to that is, if you want to raise job performance, go to your people every day and just say, thank you for showing up. Thank you for showing up and doing a great job. Or if you have a story like what you just told and you know something's off kilter, ask, hey, what's going on here? What can I help you with? I'm not just here to be your employer. And this is where I get really passionate about culture, because if you want to change culture immediately, say thank you and ask. Those yeah. two things alone will drastically change everything. Yeah, this go again goes back to this whole thing. We asked Christine Miles in the podcast, like, what's one of the biggest killers of listening? And she, the first thing she said was time, yes. busyness. And I'm just thinking about that same concept right here where a project manager, like, again, myself, when I went to that job site, I was there to see the job site and I had some other place to go. I wasn't there to see how is that person doing, uh, you know, emotionally, yeah. you know, and that I didn't see that as my job at that point. I've changed a lot of that view, uh, which is partly why we have you on. But the whole, <laughs> I, the whole idea of taking the time to really... Yeah 
care about that person uh, more so than just the physical work that they're getting done uh, just seems like a huge, huge, uh, I don't know what you call mind bender for me right now, just to think about that. I want to make it really, really simple. Uh, sorry, Steve. I want to make okay. it really simple. What I encourage leaders to do often is just start with 10 minutes a week. Budget 10 minutes a week and start with one person. And so let's take your illustration. I'm going to visit five job sites this week. Just start with one. Right. Start with the four person, the, the leader of that job site and just budget. Okay. I know I have a meeting at two. So I'm going to show up at this job site 10 minutes early. And if someone sits here and tells me they can't budget 10 minutes a week, they're a flat liar. It's because they don't want to at that point right, right. because you have the time. Right. And so, but start there. And I promise you, you're going to see the results that will motivate you to add another 10 minutes. It's kind of like going to the gym and eating right. It's like, I don't want to eat green beans, but I start with it and I feel better. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. do 10 push-ups, but I start with it and I feel better. Yeah. Mitch, I love what you just said, because I was going to basically ask about that. Like, how do we feel like we're not white knuckling, you know, this, well, I have to check on people. I have to do this. You know, I have to go in every day and that with the affirm, you know, affirm. Um, but I think what you just said is really important is just take it a few steps yes. look at the results with a person, with a department, with the company and, and go from there. But I'm also looking at it from, you know, the listener side of, you know, uh, somebody that's introverted, you know, going up and saying, how are you doing it? And getting that kind of emotional connection can be a barrier for some. And, you know, we all maybe don't set out to be leaders when we're business owners, but that's what you have to be. Right. right? And so right. you go into this place where you're an introvert, or I think on the flip side is, you know, when I go in and say, Hey, you're doing a great job every day. Or, and thank you for being here. I think that some people may think, well, maybe I'm being soft, maybe I'm being passive, you know? And so I'm probably looking at it the wrong way. And that's where, you know, scarcity and abundance look at it from the way that builds the culture. So I don't know if you can kind of take the baton on what I'm saying, but um, just looking at those two things of being an introvert and the emotional side versus, and also, you know, not feeling like you have to be this overbearing, demanding leader. Is what I and, and and that is that is a common thread that that I do often hear because this this is often very new to leaders and quite frankly I, I I love what I get to do because I've been talking about this stuff forever this is this is who I am and so I have to have grace for others because sometimes I just go just do it trust me it's going to work and others are <laughs> right. like I can't I'm not Mitch I can't do that and that's okay and so then it becomes the idea of what's your language. So I, I knew a great leader one time that uh, he never really asked people how they were doing because that wasn't his language. But one thing he always said was, hey, Tim, it's great to see you today. Thanks for spending time with me. Hey, thanks for letting me come to your job site and check out the project. So it may just be things like that, that find your language that can be a connection spot. It doesn't have to be Mitch Gray's language because I am Mr. Philosophical guy that wants to <laughs> dig into it. That's me. Um, I had a guy. Back when my preaching days, I was preaching at a small uh, uh, farming community church and uh, had a guy call me one day. We were really growing. The church was going good. And, and I had an old rancher call me once and said, Mitch, I want to take you to lunch. I said, all right. He said, I'll come pick you up. So we're sitting there and he's, you know, middle-aged, big old burly cowboy rancher. And he goes, Mitch, I really like everything that you're saying. 
and I want to do some good in my community. But man, all I see is cows. (laughs) 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 And I was in my mid to late 20s at the time, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. This guy has a passion for wanting to do something, but he literally spends his life with cows. And so I think that's kind of an epitome of what you're saying is some people want to do something different, but, but it's like the disconnect is so great. It's like, what do I do? And so three really easy steps. We said it before, start really small, just start really, really small, Uh, speak in your own language. So it could be more statements, you know, Hey, Tim, I love what you've done with the plants in your background. Great job. It could be, or it could be, Hey, how are you doing? Really? Find your language and practice with someone. And then number three, the most underrated element of all of this is being fully present as a leader. You may not have the language yet. You may not know what to say. You may be listening to this and going, holy smokes, this is way outside of my comfort zone. Then just be present. Don't be so busy that people don't know you exist. Be fully present present in F. If you're going to a job site and you only have 30 minutes, then don't be on your phone. Don't be getting a call from your assistant. Leave the phone in the truck and be fully present. And if you can start there, it'll build someone because people will pay attention. And I guarantee you, it feels really good when someone comes up to you for the first time and goes, hey, thanks. You weren't distracted today. That feels really, really good. Wow. I We're going to have to bring this to an end. We probably could go on for a while uh, on <laughs> this topic, uh, but I really, uh, this has been super fantastic. Um, I, you know, I don't usually use those words together, fantastic or super, but super fantastic for sure. And uh, I think the listeners will get so much out of this. I really encourage listeners, you know, go back, listen to some of these simple little tips and start Start doing some of these things because it will make a big difference. I love it. Yeah, I love it. This is awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mitch. Tim, uh, I'm throwing this up into the top three episodes (laughs) ever. I really am. This is really, really incredible stuff. It's so important. You know, you go through a lot of companies and you get to see the inner workings of a lot of companies. We're in a company. Um, I, I get to see the same uh, culture is one of those things that seems to be this odd, you know, invisible thing that nobody knows how to cultivate or keep or measure. It's like accountability. It's like work-life balance. Am I doing, you know, it's these buzzwords, but this, this perfectly to me outlined what culture is, how to develop, cultivate, how to keep um, this is just a, a very important episode. And, and to what you said, I think, Going back and listening and evaluating yourself, write down how you are doing the things that Mitch mentioned and outlined, grade yourself truthfully, and I think you'll come up with some incredible results and start there. This is, to me, is one of the best episodes we've had. Yeah, so it's just those little things like one, two, three, and of course, I love those things because... That's the way my brain thinks. Just give me a list. You know, let me let me look at this list. And I'm I'm just going to read at least the way I wrote down the questions. How do you treat others? How do you speak to others? How do you engage with other people? And how do you read others? 
And just taking the time, it just strikes me that leaders, business owners, managers, production managers, you need to really stop and do that self and analysis, not, not so that you beat yourself up, but also then start that process of asking your team how you interact with them and really, really get them to uh, share what they're, what they feel and what they see. The other thing I, I just really appreciated about this was the emphasis on feelings and emotions. It's just, we miss it too much. I mean, we just, you know, and particularly, I think like if you're in an office and you have a whole bunch of, pardon the stereotype, women and men interacting, the emotions can, you know, can be more visible, but we've got job sites and we're building things and we're supposed to get something done by the end of the day. And quite often we are totally ignoring the emotions that somebody might have or what they might be exhibiting to us. And so paying more attention to that, and I'll just refresh this idea of taking the time. I, I, you know, Mitch said, if you don't have 10 minutes, you say you don't have 10 minutes, you're a liar. You know, and I think the reason we do that is maybe we don't know what to do, but we also then uh, maybe we're just too busy with other things. And it seems to me that what he's telling us is make the 10 minutes and then that will translate to you having other 10 minutes because other people will be more proficient. Other people will be more efficient. Other people will give more because you've taken the time to invest in them. And if you don't do that, I'm going to guarantee you, I think he would guarantee you, it'll stay just the same as it is now. You'll continue losing people. One of the things I didn't say in the the, the intro was, I think people are leaving companies now and never saying it's the culture, but that's what it is. It, it's not the money, it's the culture. And I, I just think people need to be aware that that's part of the big transition that we're having. Yeah. And that's the most important part. I think you just said is there's going to be a cycle of discomfort. If you don't choose to do some of the things that were outlined and one more time, just go back and listen to this episode. So Mitch mentioned that he was a preacher for a while. I feel like I was just preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. All right. Well, this was an incredible episode. We want to thank Mitch Gray for joining us today. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And this right here, folks, this is a great example of how we are working really hard to just get rid of that nasty phrase. It is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.